Don't you want devoted followers who leave their families for you, give their money to you, give their bodies to you, give up their lives for you, consider you God, and will kill for you? Don't you want to become a cult leader? Hello and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast where we also veer off of the serial killer path to delve into topics within our beloved true crime community. Now, as you guys know, I am fighting a cold, not the corona, and my voice is a little bad, so I do apologize, but I didn't want to put off recording this for you guys anymore. So, speaking of this podcast, now folks, this one is tough. I'm not going to lie, the leader of this cult was horrific and abusive and torturous. He was super bad. I'm throwing this disclaimer at the beginning for that sake, but I will try to give a little warning as the really intense stuff comes up. If you think you might be squeamish, this one might not be for you and you will not hurt my feelings at all. This week's podcast will be on a cult called the Ant Hill Kids. This cult was founded by Rock Terrio. So let's start with him. Rock Terrio was born on May 16, 1947 in Dorchester, New Brunswick, Canada. His parents were Hyacinth Terrio and Pierre Tremblay. Both were very devoutly religious. He was the second of seven children, born into a family that belonged to a fundamentalist, often labeled fascist and anti-Semitic, Catholic offshoot called the Pilgrims of St. Michael, also known as the White Berets. And they were nicknamed this because they wore these very distinctive, you know, white berets during meetings and while they were traveling door-to-door handing out their literature. The Pilgrims of St. Michael was actually founded in 1939 to, quote, promote the development of a better world, a more Christian society, through the diffusion and the implementation of the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church in every sector of society especially the economic field, unquote. They have a publication called the Michael Journal, and they release five issues of this a year in English, French, Polish, and Spanish. And it is, quote, a journal of Catholic patriots for the social credit monetary reform through the education of the population and not through political parties, unquote. They visit families so that they can get their publication known and the organization is volunteer run and is financed through donations from benefactors. Now, there is a story out there that says his family told stories of how he played with wild bears when he was quite little. Whether that's true or not, 
When he was seven years old, the family moved to Thetford Mines, which is in the south, kind of central part of Quebec. Okay, so this area was founded after a large asbestos deposit was discovered and it became one of the largest asbestos producing regions. As many of you know, asbestos is a mineral that when used in fabrics and insulating materials can become a problem. The problem with asbestos is that it breaks down into microscopic thin fibers, which if inhaled can get lodged into lung tissue and go on to cause very serious diseases like lung cancer, mesothelioma, and so on. Everyone's heard the commercials. So there's that. His father was a laborer, but the family was considered at least middle class. His mother was, of course, a housewife. And they didn't really struggle, and the local community considered the parents upstanding and pretty normal, all things considered. All of the children were well cared for. There were no reports of abuse or neglect whatsoever. The local school system only went up to the seventh grade, so all of the children received no further education. Now, a lot of sources love to say, well, he dropped out of school, you know, after the seventh grade. He didn't drop out. There were no more grades. But Rock was described as highly intelligent, outgoing, and he really enjoyed learning. But outside of that, there's really nothing bad to report. But to later hear him tell it, of course, his parents, particularly his father, abused him. His father denied it, saying Rock was never beaten and all the other stories from other people corroborate that. So when his father wasn't at work, he would make the children go with him door to door to distribute their group's literature and Rock reportedly hated that. And as the years went on, he began hating Catholicism specifically, but also all organized religion. As he got older, he complained about it and found out pretty quickly that he garnered the attention he liked when he did complain. He got sympathy, and so his complaining became a habit. He would then tell people that his father abused him and so on, which we know isn't true. He also told people that he and his siblings were the result of an incestual relationship between his parents, but that's not been proven true either. But that wasn't the point. He craved attention and found that he got even more of it by putting on a show And as he went into his teens, he realized that he found the idea of spirituality actually quite attractive. So he began researching and teaching himself about the Old Testament in the Bible. He became rather obsessed with the idea of the apocalypse. He thought the war between good and evil was upon the earth and the end of the world was near. And that's pretty much his childhood. 
There's not a lot of detailed information, but we get the sense that he loved to play the victim. According to PsychCentral.com, it's pretty common for narcissistic people to play the victim to manipulate the narrative. Narcissists can't deal with reality because it often contradicts with what they want to be the truth, forcing them to face negative emotions. To cope with this, they convince themselves that the truth really isn't the truth and that only their point of view is real. And they generally really see it that way. You know, if you tell yourself a lie long enough, you start to believe it. Narcissists want to know that they're right to help keep their fragile self-esteem up. They have a need to find and latch on to people who will believe them. I mean, we probably all know someone like this. The most common way narcissists create alternative stories is by a method called projecting, right? So they say the other person is just jealous of them or being cruel to them, or is a liar and a cheat, and so on. But the bigger picture is that the narcissist is just describing and presenting themselves when complaining about that other person. A common use of deceiving language would be something like, quote, I'm not trying to control you, Brenda. I just want what's best for you, unquote. Now, I am in no way diagnosing him with anything. As I've said before, I don't have a PhD. But this would appear to be a pretty accurate description of his attitude and behavior. But let's continue. So in November of 1967, 20-year-old Rock married 17-year-old Francine Grenier, who was from a neighboring town, She was described as quiet and shy and unassuming. They then moved to Montreal, and by all accounts, they were happy. They went on to have two sons, Rock Jr. and Francois. Rock converted from Catholicism to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Right, so what's the difference? The Seventh-day Adventists believe that Starting October 22nd, 1844, Jesus began the last phase of his atoning ministry in the sanctuary in heaven. They celebrate the Sabbath on Saturdays. They believe that death is just an unconscious state, that they are just kind of asleep. Many become vegetarian or vegans, stating the Bible teaches that God gave nuts, grains, and herbs as nourishment. They forbid alcohol and tobacco. They also do not believe that hell is just infinite torture. So, you know, sounds okay. But for all the dietary changes and healthy living, by the early 1970s, Rock was plagued with severe stomach ulcers, which he actually had to have surgery for, and reportedly developed complications from that surgery. The constant, uncomfortable, and painful stomach issues would, of course, make the best of us rather disagreeable. 
but he did begin a new obsession with medicine and herbs and learned quite a bit about human anatomy. He was very much into holistic healing. So after a while, he, his wife, and his two sons moved back to Thetford Mines, and Rock showed some talent for woodworking. He immersed himself in the local politics and even joined the French version of the Shriners, though he used that platform to show his disdain for Catholicism. And then, even though it went against the beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, he began drinking heavily, mostly just self-medicating due to his constant stomach pain. His two sons would later go on to say that it was around this time that their father really began to change. He also began trying to kind of take over the leadership roles within his local Adventist group and was then barred from them. He also started showing a new and intense interest in sex, much to the disappointment of his wife and family. His new mistress, Giselle, became quickly his favorite. And with his lifestyle changing rapidly, it didn't take long for him to run out of money and the bank repossessed his house. It was at this point that his wife, Francine, threw her arms up, I'm done, took the boys and left him. Even though his relationship with Giselle became quite strong, he put up a show that he was sleeping in the bed of his truck so that he would satisfy his own, quote, rules about sleeping with a woman that he was not married to. He again a very charismatic man, preached to people around him about the strict codes of masculine authority among his other beliefs, and he began to amass a bit of a following. In the mid-70s, he was able to convince a very small group of people to quit their jobs or drop out of college, leave their homes, and join him in communal living in his religious movement which at first was located in Giselle's apartment. His new followers were all between the ages of 18 to 25 and nearly all female, of course. Now, they were all perfectly fine with abandoning their lives because after all, Rock had convinced them that Jesus' return and the end of the world was imminent and there was no need to waste time like with things like an education and so on. And the girls ate that up, and they also loved the attention that he gave them. So while hiking around Lake Rousseau, he said he climbed up and walked out onto a rocky cliff and then had this spiritual experience describing it as seeing the entire sky light up completely white. The voice of God told him that the very rock cliff he was standing on was a holy place. He felt that God had also anointed him as the man who would save the world from the apocalypse. Rock who kept up with the Jonestown Massacre news at that time, by the way, 
had already grown this long black beard and was described as, you know, pretty handsome and having these piercing blue eyes. He and Giselle got married in 1978. Some say she was the one that proposed in an attempt to keep him from sleeping with the other girls. He announced that he was now also a prophet. He preached to his followers that they should all live together and that everyone would be equal. He began insisting that they all wear a uniform, an ankle-length pullover tunic, green for the women and beige for the men, with Rock wearing a dark brown robe of similar cut. He encouraged the men and women to marry each other. He proclaimed the earth to be corrupt. He told his followers that their families were also corrupt and that they shouldn't have anything to do with them anymore. They also opened the, quote, healthy living clinic, which was an alternative medicine shop where one could get organic foods and holistic literature to help cure any illness. Now, while in the, now, while the clinic was open, a man who was following Rock's teachings His wife had cancer, and she was being treated pretty successfully at a nearby hospital. But Rock convinced this man to let him come to the hospital to see his wife. He then got into an argument with the doctors about all the chemicals that they were pumping into her poor little body and was able to convince the couple to come to the clinic. His course of treatment organic food, and grape juice. She died at the clinic, and Rock's response was, quote, You know, when God wants people, he takes them. It was her time. Unquote. So, after a bit, Giselle found out that she was pregnant and reportedly told Rock that he needed to disband his commune. His response to that was that he punched her in the mouth and demanded she not leave their bedroom for two days. Then he predicted the upcoming apocalypse to be, quote, a shower of boulder-like hailstones, unquote, in February of 1979. But also, there was increasing police surveillance on their clinic after the woman's death from cancer. So... Of course, he and his followers packed up and moved to the Eternal Mountain in the Gaspésie region of Quebec. They were able to bring in about $2,000 a month from welfare and family allowances, and they used that money to build tents and a cabin. Now, building a big communal cabin and digging a well for water This was sometimes, almost always, at least a a 17-hour-a-day job. But their commune came together pretty quickly, and as they settled in for the end of the world, the day came and the day went, and Rock blamed it on the differences between the Israelite and the Roman Catholic calendar. He then declared that all of the marriages within the commune were now void, and he began marrying the women to himself. Then Rock began strictly rationing their food. 
if he caught someone even nibbling outside of their ration, there would be very harsh punishments. Once he punched a pregnant woman in the side, breaking her ribs for eating just two more pancakes than she had been allotted. Or he'd force them to strip naked and stand in the snow for hours. And the people did not think to question him, because that would be akin to questioning God himself. He began telling them to call him Moses. One of his followers had mentioned leaving, so Rock told another male follower to, quote, cut off her toes with an axe as punishment, unquote. When the man hesitated, Rock screamed obscenities at him and yelling that he had to learn how to teach his woman a lesson. So the man went so far as to cut off her little pinky toe. However, the media portrayed Rock as a gentle mountain man who was just fighting the prejudiced industrial society. He felt he had the knowledge and spiritual authority to perform medical procedures on his followers. One such procedure, disclaimer, disclaimer, this is harsh. One of his procedures was on a two-year-old little boy. The boy was having trouble urinating and was in pain. So Rock took a pair of scissors and cut the toddler's penis. Of course, the child screamed in agony, so Rock ordered a male cult member to beat the child severely. Finally, the men gave up, and the rest of the commune did try to save that little boy's life, but he unfortunately died from his injury. The group cremated the body to hide the evidence, though later, after a police raid, the body was found. But his, quote, surgical prowess didn't stop there. He continued to remove toes, fingers, teeth, all while using his own tools, such as pliers, knives, even blowtorches. Yes, my friends, blowtorches. Even though some of his followers kind of started deciding they might want to leave, they were so physically exhausted and mentally tore down that they just became complacent. Now, Rock was also sleeping with all of his wives, and they were all getting pregnant with his children. Also, his own two sons from his first wife came to live with him on this commune. They were later interviewed by QMI Agency, and they stated they, quote, lived in horror. It was 1980 when they arrived. Nearly immediately, the two suffered by the hands of their drunken, physically, and sexually abusive father. Quote, I was so scared of him when I was small, said Francois. He would say my name and I would tremble like a leaf, unquote. The boys figured out pretty quick that if their father got drunk, he would pay them a visit. The other children, as well as his other children, women, were not immune either. 
he left one son outside to freeze to death. And here's another disclaimer, okay? He also forced the children to watch and participate in sexual abuse with himself and the other adults in the cult. He nailed children to trees as punishment and would beat any child for crying. He even held babies over a fire because he got off on hearing the mothers scream and beg for their children's lives. His own biological children were held in higher regard compared to the others, but they weren't treated much better. And Rock decreed that he was the only one who could show any level of warmth or affection toward any of the children. The children were also denied any form of education other than his own brand of religion. He told the children that God lived underground and that the evidence of this he showed them was that flowers grew from beneath the ground. He also taught them that sometimes God required, you know, simple blood sacrifices, which included Rock getting naked and killing a live goat, then covering himself in the blood of that animal. And he did this in front of children. Some reported that there were chanting rituals, upside-down crosses, and group sex acts. Once, some children were taken away from the group, and they were almost given back. The report stating Rock was a, quote, pioneering spirit and experimental attitude regarding sexual education, unquote. If you can even believe that. The family members of the cult members tried desperately to get the authorities involved, but there was very little anyone could do. They did manage to get Rock to come in for some psychological testing, because this was after Jim Jones, you know, so people's nerves were kind of frayed about communes and whatnot. And Rock was actually able to talk to them in a way that the experts said he was, quote, merely a member of a healthy and nature-focused commune that made decisions as a group, unquote. They deemed him normal, which did nothing but prove Rock's case to himself that he could do whatever he wanted, which meant that when he got back to the commune, his abuse escalated. There is even some evidence to show that he was acquainted with forensic psychiatrist and LDS branch president, Dr. Jess Grosbeck. So there's that as well. He worked one of his wives so hard that her own uterus prolapsed and was protruding nearly three inches outside of her body. His medical treatment was easy. He just punched it back in there where it belonged. He then used a wooden cone of sorts to, um, let's say make sure it stayed up there. He made his followers eat feces and dead mice, according to one source. If I listed out every disgusting and torturous abuse, we'd be here for hours. So let's just all kind of agree that it was absolutely horrific. So in 1989, 
Rock, now being 42 years old. Well, one of his wives, Solange, came to him saying she had this pain in her abdomen. Oh, oh, this is disclaimer, okay? So Rock apparently convinced her that it was her liver and to prepare herself for treatment. He got exceedingly drunk. He had her lay on a table. He then gave her an enema of olive oil, molasses, and water. He then began to hit and punch her stomach. Witnesses stated she put her hands up to kind of protect herself from the blows, but he would command she put her hands back down, and she did. He then forced a tube down her throat, and he had himself and everyone else breathe into it or suck the air back out. Then using a knife, he cut her vertically from just under her ribs on her right side, about five inches. He pulled out some of her intestines, ripped them off, then said, quote, there, you're going to be all right, unquote. He had another person sew her up and she was somehow able to get off that table. Rock ordered her to take a hot bath and then a cold bath. She then went to bed and died in agony from her treatment, quote unquote. His eldest two sons witnessed this whole show, later saying he was like a shark that just needed to see blood. But surprisingly, Rock was very upset at her death and became obsessed with bringing her back from the dead, claiming that he had the power of resurrection. You guys are not going to believe this. (laughs) He ordered his followers to take out her uterus and then had them cut a hole into her skull. He then made the men ejaculate into the hole. This obviously did not work to bring her back to life, so he had them bury her in the woods, but he took one of her ribs as a keepsake that he wore in a pouch around his neck. Then that same year, another follower, Gabrielle, was overheard complaining about a toothache. Rock pulled several of her teeth out with pliers, He then cut a tendon in her hand with a knife. This is what she said about that night. Quote, He was standing, looking like he was in a trance. I was helpless, long enough for him to decide that the arm had to come off. Unquote. He used a carpet knife and a meat cleaver and chopped her arm off. She was stitched up by another member. Not long after, Gabrielle decided it was time to leave. She took off running through the wilderness, then hitchhiked to a hospital, where she told the police what had happened to her, among other atrocities, and this prompted a raid on the commune. But by the time the authorities got there, he and three of his followers had run. They managed to evade capture for a month and a half before they were finally found. All were arrested. For the death of Solange, he pled guilty to second-degree murder and was given life in prison in 1993. In 2011, 
63-year-old Rock was found dead in his prison cell from a stab wound to the neck, having been killed by his cellmate. Most all of the children, after Rock was caught and put away, were put into foster homes. He did have three other girls that still worshipped him even after he was put in prison, and for whatever reason, he was allowed conjugal visits with them, so he fathered three more children while he was in jail. So, Rock was the leader of a cult for roughly 15 years. He wasn't a tyrant at first. That's not how you gain followers. He got followers by preaching about things that people wanted to hear. You know, God, alternatives to mainstream medicine, a cleaner, healthier lifestyle. I mean, these are all perfectly fine things. But he hooked them with the prophecies about the end of the world. And once he got them separated from their friends and families, things got much, much worse and really quickly. Again, Rock was, as most cult leaders are, pathologically narcissistic. According to Psychology Today, they have an overabundant belief that they are special, that they and they alone have the answers to all problems and they want to be worshipped. They demand complete loyalty from their followers. They devalue their followers. They are intolerant of criticism and they will not tolerate being questioned or challenged. And while I'm not going to say that Rock was a clinical psychopath, he does tick the boxes, many of the boxes anyway, such as being grandiose, preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success and power, demands blind obedience, requires excessive admiration. He has a sense of entitlement. He exploits others. He is arrogant and glib. I mean, you see what I'm saying. I do not believe that any of his childhood experiences were anything abusive whatsoever. I don't think the environment he grew up in, other than perhaps the extreme religion, influenced his future behavior at all. He was just a narcissistic and maybe most likely a psychopath, yet evil man. Sorry again for the state of my voice, but thank you so much for listening. <laughs>